Good morning and welcome to our contemporary service of worship. My name is John Robbins. We're thankful that you're a part of this service today. It's an opportunity in a very special way to be able to celebrate our faith together. So thank you for being here. We wanna remind you to register. We hope you'll do that by finding the QR code on your order of service or on the screen and going ahead and registering your attendance. We wanna know that you're here. We also wanna remind you about our social media opportunities where you can find out more information about what's going on in the life of the church be connected on a regular basis in all that we're doing. We're grateful that you're a part of Pulaski Heights United Methodist Church, and we want you to be fully involved in any way and in every way. So thank you for being here. We hope it's a meaningful and powerful service of worship for you. Good morning, everyone. It is a joy to be with you in worship on this glorious day. My name is Kathleen McMurray. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so thankful to be able to join you in this time of community, this time of fellowship, and this time of gathering together as friends and neighbors of our God. We recognize that we all come into this time of worship in a little bit different places in life and in our faith. And the good news is that no matter how strong or weak our faith, how strong our faith are strong or weak our doubt, no matter how difficult the struggles we are facing, how broken or celebratory our hearts are this day that God meets us here and that we are welcome in God's presence this morning. I want to make sure that all of our children know that they have a way that they can participate and that their presence can be known and celebrated in worship today with our kids' packs that are in the lobby or are available for those of you worshiping with us online at phumc.com kids. Again, all are welcome to come as they are and to learn as they are as we gather in this time of worship today. Let's worship God together this morning. Let's stand together this morning and sing.
Amen. We believe that this morning. Go ahead and turn to someone next to you and say, you are a child of God.
song is forever yours. A thousand hallelujahs and a thousand more. Amen. You guys can be seated. Please be seated. My name is Jay Clark. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And as we go into this time of prayer together, I invite you just to center yourself to where, the you, where you can communicate with God as best you can, as best we can. I'm going to share with you some joys and concerns from our faith community. And then I'll give you a time to voice your own personal concerns or joys. And you can do that aloud, or you can just do it from your heart and your mind. We pray for all experiencing grief and loss today. Our Christian sympathy is extended to Melissa Brown and family in the death of her father, John Rather. To Jennifer Shannon and family in the death of her sister-in-law, Cheryl Sessions. To Melanie Grace and family in the death of her brother, Matt McCain. To Arlene Jackson and family in the death of her aunt, Bessie Arbery. And to Chris Jones and family in the death of her mother, Linda Holloman Jones. We pray for all those who have been in the hospital, including Rebecca Rather and Sam Brannon. We also rejoice that we have had new members become part of this community of faith. Michelle and Stephen Rogers, Julia Rogers, Michael Rogers, and Grace Rogers. And now, would you have any that you would voice that we can continue those prayers as we go throughout our week? Holy and loving God, we are so grateful. Grateful for your promises, especially the promise to always be with us. We know that there are people hurting, many in this, this very room. We ask you to let them feel your powerful presence in their lives, not just here, but as they walk out of these doors and everywhere they go, we know that there are people that we will never meet or see that need your presence as well. We ask you in this very moment just to let them know that they are loved, cared for, and created in your image. We have so many things to be thankful for, oh God. But in this very moment, I'm grateful that we're part of a community of faith that can come together and share the words of Jesus, be together, 
love each other, get to know each other better, and have that common thread that has run from the beginning of time and will continue to run through us to more generations and more generations of who you are. Who you are as our God and who we are as your people. We take all this to you knowing that you have heard it all and that you care and love us as we remember the prayer Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In this time of worship, we are so incredibly thankful for the power of God that can move in us and through us when we are God's people together and collectively. One of the ways that we're thankful for that this week and that we celebrate as we enter into our time of offering in this service is that because you give, Pulaski Heights was able to be one of the leading church donors to begin a new project of transformation, Project Transformation here in Arkansas. It's a program that brings about, uh, brings together uh, college students as well as children uh, to be reading buddies throughout the summer and in their ministries around the country, 97% of the students that work with Project Transformation increase their reading levels over the summer through this amazing thing, uh, this amazing project, and we are so thankful to be a part of that. Um, and there are opportunities to serve uh, right here in Arkansas, right here in our community um, this next week and in the weeks to come. If you would like to be a reading buddy and to help out these college interns um, and to participate in this, you can do so as well. And just let us know and we'll make sure and get you plugged in. But we're so thankful that because you give, we as a church were able to be a part of starting this amazing new ministry here in our state so that our children here in Arkansas can better be able to read and better be able to grow and know that they are loved and cared for by grown-ups. Um, and that is a huge, huge gift to be able to give to all children. So we celebrate that in this time of offering today. If you would like to make an offering, you can place a gift in the baskets as they are passed, or those of you worshiping with us online, you can also give electronically following the ways to give as appear on your screens. Let us turn to God in a time of prayer as we give our gifts to God. God, we are thankful that through your people, we know that we are loved, and that through your people, the world can know that it is loved. And lives can be changed as we act with mercy and as we live out your love in active ways. God, as we offer these gifts to you, we pray that you will bless them, that they may be a blessing to your children in our community and in our world, that lives may be transformed by the power of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ.
stand together this morning.
Amen, amen. I invite you to remain standing as you are able for the reading of the gospel today from Luke chapter 10. A familiar story, but God can always teach us something new in familiar stories. Let us receive these words. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But the man wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when they saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where this man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. May God add blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of this portion of God's holy word. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. As you are seated, I invite you to turn and greet those around you. It is indeed a joy to be in worship today. Um, these passages that are so familiar to us are sometimes some of the most difficult because they are so familiar and we think that we know what they mean. But I have found that every time that I think I know what I'm doing, God has something else in mind to teach me. And so I feel like this scripture is an invitation for us all to learn something new from God this day. Let's turn to God in an attitude of prayer. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When I was in seminary, I had the amazing privilege of being able to serve in Thailand for a school year. As part of my service in Thailand, I would go and I would be a part of local hill tribe peoples, local communities of the hill tribe peoples. Hill tribe peoples being those that had come down from China and through Burma and were now staying in the northern hills of Thailand. And as part of my time over there, I had the amazing opportunity to stay in some orphanages and to be a part of the lives of children and to teach English to children. That was what I was asked to do when I offered my services uh, to the nonprofit Borderless Friendship Foundations. I got to do a lot of things, but what they said they really would love 
is for children to be able to learn English from a native English speaker because for those kids, knowing English can be a way out of poverty, can be a way uh, into some really amazing opportunities. And so I jumped right in. Quickly learning though that I was not trained in education and that it was really difficult to teach a language when you were not completely fluent in the native language of the people that you were teaching. And so to try and get the attention of these children and hold the attention of this, these children was a little bit of a challenge. But one of the things that I learned that transcended languages was the power of competition. And that as soon as I put on the board team one and team two, and we began playing a game out of words uh, and learning English words, as, as, as long as we made something a competition, those kids were hooked. And they immediately began associating with their teammates. And they immediately began to demonize the other team that couldn't possibly have a clue what was going on. Competition was ripe there for those kids uh, there in Kenoi. And I realized that this idea of having competition, of dividing into groups, does transcend languages and it also transcends time. There have been study upon study that have been done throughout the centuries about how it is part of our human condition um, that we are, biologically, we are biologically programmed to seek to identify our in-group and out-groups. That we are biologically, because of uh, cavemen and safety, because of all of these things that have happened in our history, we're biologically conditioned to seek to set boundaries around us with safe people and to be suspicious of the other. It's part of our biological makeup. It's part of our human condition. And yet, as people of faith, if we do that, I believe that we miss out on something powerful that God can teach us through the other. Our scripture lesson for today is indeed a familiar one. The phrase Good Samaritan is known not only to people of Christian faith, but to people of many other faiths, as well as people of no faith. There are Good Samaritan laws that seek to protect those who would stop by and help strangers in need. The phrase Good Samaritan is something that is part of our vernacular because of its familiarity. And yet for Jesus' audience, this story would have been scandalous. It would have been scandalous. Jesus is encountered by a man who is an expert in the law. And he comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus, as many people did, questions that regarded their faith. And so he asked Jesus, what must I do, Jesus, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, being Jesus, doesn't ever give us simple answers. And so he turns back to the man with another question. Well, 
what, how do you read the law? What's written in the law? How do you read it? And the man gives the correct answers. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and you are to love your neighbor as yourself. Good job. He knows the law. He is a legal expert. After all, that is what the Hebrew people were called to. They were called to love God, and they were called to love neighbor. And Jesus himself has said this and preached this, that that is the crux of the law. And if only the legal expert had stopped there. But instead, wanting to, as the scripture says, prove his righteousness, he goes a step further and he says, and who exactly is my neighbor? And once again, Jesus doesn't give simple answers. But instead, he tells a story. A story of a man. A man walking down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, we don't know the specifics of this man. We don't know whether he was rich or poor. We don't know what his religion was or his cultural identity. We don't know a lot about him, which makes him very easily able to be compared to us, right? People are easily able to identify with this unknown man traveling along this road, this road that was very, very well known. This road that, as you can see, was a very treacherous road. You see, Jerusalem is about 2,700 feet of miles above sea level, and, uh, and Jericho is far below sea level. And so this road from Jerusalem to Jericho goes down mountainous hills, and it winds around. It is an incredibly treacherous road. And in fact, in that day, it was called and known as the Way of Blood the way of blood. It was such a treacherous road. Not only was it through the desert and it was difficult road to pass, but as you can see, there are lots of little nooks and crannies and twists and turns where robbers used to hang out, where people used to plant themselves ready to attack passers-by. The way of blood. So a man was traveling down this treacherous road from Jerusalem to Jericho, and while he was on this road, he was attacked, attacked by robbers. Now, this word there, robbers, in the Greek is used by Homer in some of his writings, and it was used in that time to talk about armed gangs, essentially. These are not just robbers who want to steal a purse, but these are violent criminals that would wait for passers-by until they were at their most vulnerable and attack. And so that is what happens to this man that people may have been identifying with on this treacherous road. He is attacked and he is beaten and he is left half dead. And there on that road, a Levite comes by and a priest These are men who also were trained in the law. They knew the law that had been given, just like that legal expert. They knew that they were called to love their neighbor. They knew that they were called as good followers of Yahweh to care for the stranger, to care for the hurting, and to help to heal those who were close to death, and yet they do not. They pass by. 
abandoning their own religious convictions in that moment. We don't know why. We aren't given reasons. But perhaps they too were scared. Scared of what might befall them on this treacherous road. If they were to stop, perhaps the robbers were still laying in wait for someone in a vulnerable stance. They might get beaten too. They might get hurt too. But in this moment, they pass by. And then a third person comes. And here's where Jesus would have really scandaled his audience. A Samaritan comes by. A Samaritan. You can imagine, if you will, a mean way of saying that word. Samaritans, you see, were from Samaria, known in the Old Testament as Shechem. It was the site of some really, really horrible stuff that happened to the Jewish people. It was the site of the rape of Dinah, Joseph's brother. It was the site of a massacre for Abimelech, um, a, a man who, who sought to, to, uh, to squelch those enemies that claimed that he was a false judge. It was the site of a lot of really horrible things. And over the centuries, there was growing tension then between Jews and Samarians, some Jews and Samaritans. They both claimed to have the key to righteousness. They both claimed to be the true descendants of Abraham. They, and not the other, were the ones that had true religion. They, and not the other, were the ones that held the key to God's kingdom and favor. Even outside of the Bible, we have evidence from other sources that these two groups of people did not like each other. And it wasn't just like this is somebody you don't want to play with on the playground. It was like these are our enemies. These are our oppressors. These are people that are not capable of any kind of good. And yet, it is a Samaritan who stops on the side of the road to help this man, who takes him to an inn, bandages his wounds, pays for his recovery, writes essentially a blank check to the innkeeper for whatever medical needs might arise. It is he who is the neighbor to the man in need. Even the legal expert recognizes this, though, if you'll notice, when Jesus asks him, which one of these three was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers, that legal expert could not even say the Samaritan. He could not voice that word. It was so incomprehensible. And so instead, he said, the one who had mercy on him. This was so scandalous for Jesus' hearers. They could not have imagined that one who was their enemy, one who was evil, 
could be capable of being a neighbor, could be capable of doing good. One of the television shows which I have followed over the years is NCIS, Navy Criminal Investigative Service. And Leroy Jethro Gibbs, for many years, was the hero. He is no longer on the show anymore. But in one episode, Gibbs, who is the hero of this show, who is the most stand-up person, who has the greatest integrity, and who they frame as just the pillar of all that is good, is having a conversation with his father, Jackson. Jackson is getting older And he tells his son about a pilot who saved his life in World War II. Jackson tells the story of how he was flying and he got separated from his squadron. But there was a man named Walter, who he later learned name was Walter, who came up next to him and who showed him the direction that he needed to go get back connected with his squadron. And Jethro Gibbs, the son, confronts his dad and he says, Dad, what is going on? You told me this story about Walter, but there was no Walter in your squadron. We have been looking for him over and over again. You must be telling us a lie. And he says, why were you looking for Walter in my squadron? He was German. And Gibbs replies, German, Dad? How could you have left that out? That's the most important part. (laughs) To which Jackson replies, no, son. No, son. We were brothers up there. We were the same. We're all the same. We just keep fighting each other. Gibbs, even with his integrity, even with so much of an open mind that many times he showed to people, could not comprehend that a German Nazi would have helped his father, that he would be capable of good, that one who is so evil could be a neighbor. It was incomprehensible. And if we're honest, I believe that we think that too. (laughs) That we believe that there are people who are our enemies, that we believe that there are people that are on the other side of political or cultural or global spectrums, that we believe to be incapable of being neighbors. But Jesus teaches us that when it comes to God and God's grace and God's workings, that's not how it works. The word for neighbor in Hebrew is on your screen. Re'ah is the word for neighbor there in Hebrew. Re'ah. That would have been the word that was quoted 
as they were quoting that scripture in Deuteronomy about loving God and loving neighbor. And this is the word for evil, ra'o. Rea and ra'o. Neighbor and evil. You'll notice that the big markings, the big letters, are the same. And it is just the vowels, which are those markings below and above, that are different. They're very similar root words, these words, for evil and neighbor. And in the Hebrew Bible, in what we now know as the Old Testament, for hundreds of years, those vowel markings did not exist. They weren't written down until a group called the Masoretes went through and wrote down the vowel markings. This is how these words would have looked like in Hebrew scriptures. The word for neighbor and the word for evil. When Jesus asks the man, how do you read the law? There's a little bit of a wordplay there. But even more than that, there is a deep challenge for each and every one of us. A deep challenge for us to consider who we believe is outside of the grace of God. Who we believe is incapable of doing good in God's world. This goes way against not only our human nature, but against our society that is so incredibly polarized that we have us versus them to the extreme. And I am as guilty of this as anyone, friends, of putting labels on people and saying, goodness gracious, they couldn't have possibly done any good. But Jesus says something different. Jesus makes it so hard sometimes. And he challenges us so deeply to our core. But what would it be like? What would it be like if we lived with that mindset of who is my neighbor in a Jesus way? What if when we were asking that question, we were not trying to justify ignoring someone but instead, we are asking, who is my neighbor? As in, who does God say is capable of good? Who does God say is capable of transformation? <coughs> I'd say, receives God's grace. Imagine if instead of living in a world where we draw those bounds and push away the others without hope for redemption, if instead we ask who is my neighbor with the eyes and mind of Jesus, the world would be transformed, friends, in a powerful way.
And I believe that if we ask those questions, that we will be better neighbors ourselves. That we can experience the grace of God in a way that we never have before. And that is good news indeed. Let us pray. God, we know that so often it is easy to draw lines around us, to place labels on people. But God, we know that in you, those labels break and fall. As you call us to a different mindset, to a different way of living and being, in which your grace is what abounds and in which neighboring knows no bounds. Help us, God, to be those neighbors and help us to see our neighbors in those around us. Amen. One of the ways that I hope we learn how to be better neighbors is by being part of community. And one of the things we do at the end of every worship service that we offer here at Pulaski Heights is extend that invitation to you, to whoever is looking for a community of faith that we can walk together to learn what it means to be a better neighbor, to learn what it means to be who God has created us to be, to learn what it means to be a child of God. If you're interested in learning more about this or joining the church this morning, Pastor Kathleen and I will be up here uh, during our last song. So will you stand as we sing together? Jesus 
to officially become a part of our congregation through membership. And so, Abby, I ask you the questions on behalf of our church. Do you profess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve him in union with the church, which he is open to people of all ages, nations, and races? If so, say, I do. And will you be faithful to this congregation of Pulaski Heights United Methodist Church and do all in your power to strengthen its ministries by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness? If so, say, I will. I will. And we have a response. We rejoice, we rejoice to, to recognize, recognize you as, as a member of Christ's Holy Church, Church 
and we welcome you to Pulaski Heights United Methodist Church. With you, we renew our vows to uphold it with our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. Friends, we have affirmed our faith, and so now I give you this benediction to go forth in the power of the love and grace of Jesus Christ that knows no bounds, to share that love with all you meet so that those who do not know it will find in you and in God a generous and precious friend. Go in peace, have a great week, and tell someone about Pulaski Heights United Methodist Church.